Please welcome Jason. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Cool? It's hot. It's not cool. It's a little warm. Um, I want you to do me a favor before we get started. So I think that one of the greatest ways that we anticipate the work of God in our lives is when we ask him for it, when we lean into it. And interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 8, there was a situation where there was a blind man and some of his friends wanted him to meet this guy named Jesus because Jesus could heal him of his blindness. And so they brought him to him, right? And then Jesus did this really awkward thing, really awkward for a blind person. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him away from where everybody else was. Kind of putting him in a state of like uncomfortability, a state of where there was no stability there for him, nothing he could lean into, right? And he's going with a guy he doesn't know to a place he doesn't know to encounter something that he had no idea he was going to encounter, and that was to receive his sight back. When I think about events like this, right, massive events, huge, like the amount of work that goes into something like that, just the amount of work that goes into to put this worship set together is enormous. You're here. I don't care how you got here, camper, van, bus, horse, bike. Well, what happened was this. Jesus grabbed you by the hand, and he brought you here. Not just so that you could have an entertaining time, but so that you could see him. So, I would like us to do this exercise. I would like us to turn to the person next to us, one other person, and I would like you to pray for them. And here's what I want you to pray for them, very specifically. I would ask that you would pray that this week, that they would see Jesus. Not only just in this environment, but in the environment out there, in the conversations, in the tents, like at night, and things like that. Ask that they would see. There are verses in the Bible that say we can pray with the will of God. 1 John 5, 14 says, if we ask things according to the will of God, here's the assurance we have. He'll hear us. He'll hear us. And then it says even further, if he hears us, we're going to get what we've asked for. So if you want to have a really effective prayer life, there is only one thing you need to do. Pray the will of God. That's it. It's really hard to do. Less hard to do if you know the word of God, because to know the word of God is to know the will of God. So if you're able to pray the word, you're able to understand the will of God, right? So our prayer today is that we would get to see him more, right? That Jesus would not just be kind of like a, a poster figure in our lives that we kind of check in with once or twice a year or once or twice a week or, you know, maybe less, I don't know. But that he would change us. That we would encounter him just like you've heard about some of the other encounters, Okay, so let's start with that. Can you turn the person next to you if you don't know them, introduce yourself, and then say a prayer from your heart. And here's the idea. I'm going to help you out when, if you don't know how to pray for somebody out loud. You're going to do it out loud. Pray for someone like you would like to be prayed for, okay? You, know, you want someone to mumble something and not really be into it, or do you want them to know you and to like literally think that they're taking you before the throne of God? That's how you should pray for them, and hopefully they'll do the same for you. All right, so go ahead. All together once, pray for each other, and I'll interrupt you in a minute, all right? Let's go. Dear Father, we ask that you would help us today to hear from you. That you would help us to understand your word. That we would be able to, in the space of a festival, encounter you in an individual and personal way. God, there is a sense in which there's a gathering. There's a gathering to come to your space. There's a gathering to come before your feet 
You have told us that in, in, in future contexts, all the knees in this world are going to bow, and they're going to come before you. But in, in this moment, by faith, we approach you. We ask for confidence in that by approaching you with your will and your word. And in that space, God, would you teach us something? Would you reveal yourself? Would you open yourself up to us in a way that you have not yet before? Might we understand something more about you in this moment? And then, could it change us? Every encounter I see in the word of God where you meet with somebody, Jesus, they can't walk away the same. And I pray that that's the same for us this week. In your name we pray, amen. Being a youth pastor for quite some time, I've had the awesome privilege of working with students just like you guys. I was a part of a really amazing youth ministry not too far from here in Philadelphia, and because of that, it forced me to go into the same space and to be a youth leader. And the reason I wanted to do that is this, because I am encouraged and I am inspired when I see people of your ages making decisions for Christ. Because I think in a world where it's increasingly harder and harder to see your way through all the choices you can make in this life, that Jesus would still shine out and be that thing is unbelievable to me. And sometimes those, those changes in our lives, those, those, those desires to hear from God, to see Christ, they come in a, in a meaningful and impactful way. Like you, you get on a bus, you get in a camper, you come in a tent, and it's hot and it's sweaty, but you're leaning in and Jesus speaks to you. Sometimes when you encounter him, it's the unwanted encounter. It's the thing that you haven't really asked for, but you get because that's kind of how he works. Paul was just that way. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 9. Pull it up on your phones, open it up in front of you. But this is a story about a guy named Saul who eventually becomes known as a guy named Paul, who eventually becomes known as the one of the forefathers of the early church movement. How you doing? One of the, one of the forefathers of the early church movement. Someone who records most of the letters that we read in the New Testament. The reason he had to do that was because there was a time the Spirit of God was on him that for if he sat down longer than 10 minutes, he planted a church. God was working through him in a mighty and powerful way. But prior to that, prior to the endeavor of being a church planter, he takes his abilities, his, his understanding of what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to go about doing it, and he removes that from the situation. So now all that remains, right, is his lack of ability. He's never known a life, a life, a moment in his life of blindness, and now here he is. The men that were traveling with him, verse 7, with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was there blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. And the story goes on that there was someone that was told, a guy by the name of Ananias, who was told, you're going to go find Saul. You're going to go locate him. And when you get there, you're going to tell him exactly what he is supposed to do in my name. And as a result of Paul's obedience, he restores his sight. And then Paul is responsible for doing some pretty amazing things in this life. As a matter of fact, had Paul not been blinded, there may be no creation festival. Had Saul not given himself up to the things of Christ, worked out of the poverty of his life, 
what would we have? This story is complex, and it's hard to understand, especially at a young age, because any one of us, if we walked out of this room and heard a giant voice from heaven and were blinded by it, would say, there's something there. There's something greater, right? We look at Jesus right now through kind of like a dim lens. We see him, and we think we know what's going on, but if we were honest, we would say we don't have the full confidence. We don't have it. So go ahead and blind me and make me know you're there, right? But that's, that's, not, what, that's not what happens. A better way to explain what's going on in Paul's life is for us to go over to a beautiful little passage in Mark. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in 41, Jesus is in a space with his disciples, and he's near the temple. And in that temple space, in that temple space, what, is, what, what he wants to do is he wants to show his disciples something that is truly amazing to him. You would think that if we're reading the Gospels and we see that Jesus is excited about something, that he stops all the disciples from what they're doing and they say, watch this right now, watch what's going to happen, that that's what we should be watching. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put at the temple and he watched the crowd putting their big money in, into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. He called all of his disciples around this engagement, this encounter, and he said this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put into the treasury more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. Here, here's the learning in this passage. In the temple... As people would come and donate their money and give of their tithes and give of their offerings, a lot of people would come and they would bring big bags of money. They would walk down the temple road and they would take it to the place where the offering is supposed to go and they would lay it in a big pile because that's what they were supposed to do. It was normal, right? That was normal for them to do that. They were giving of the money that they've had. Perhaps in your life you've been told that you need to tithe. You need to give from that which you have back to the Lord, right? And they were bringing large sums of money. But Jesus didn't really take great care with that. As a matter of fact, it wasn't really an amazing thing to him until a little old lady came in and in that giant pile of money took out two little pennies and dropped them in and before they hit the pile they were completely disappeared. And for some reason for Jesus, that was the most amazing thing he's ever seen. Now it's easy to think if you're a mathematician why this is so. You would say, oh, it's because she gave 100% of her money, right? So I could go ahead and give you like $1,000 if I have a million. What's a thousand to me when I have a million, right? I'm giving you out of my wealth. But no matter how much money I have, if I give all of it, then I've given everything I have. So the argument could be made that if we're going to follow Christ in this life, we have to give everything we have. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what he's saying here, and it's not what he was trying to prove to Paul. There's a line in this passage in which he says, Out of her poverty, she gave. I find very few Christians that give out of their poverty myself included. You know what I find? Christians that give out of the things that they're wealthy in. I'm so good at this. Let me give this to the Lord, right? This is my gift. This is my skill. This is my talent. This is what I do. I'm going to give this to Jesus. <laughs> and the things that we're not good at, the things that we're poor at, we don't engage in, right? Because why? There's not a return on that investment for us. See, Paul was in this space where he was looking for investment in what he was doing. And so Jesus came in and took away the one thing that gives him his greatest reward. <laughs> so that he might, out of his poverty, follow Jesus. 
If you don't think that we are not called as believers to live out of the poverty of our lives, not out of our gifts, skills, the wealth, not skimming off the top to give Jesus what we want to give him, but the things that we're low, the things that we're humble in. Think about when Jesus called the disciples in Matthew chapter 5. He got them all together. He put them on the side of a hill, and he gave them a sermon. And he said, you want to know what we're going to do in this life? Here you go. We're going to be humble. We're going to be meek. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be poor in spirit. We're going to be insulted. And somehow, some way, the Christian church has pushed us into leadership, into being great and being excellent. And I understand where that comes from. But everything I see about Jesus, everything I see about what he wants from us is out of our poverty, not out of our wealth. Think about him as a shining example. He was a man who knew no sin and became all sin. He was poor in sin. He had zero. And out of that poverty, he took all of ours away. He grabbed it all onto himself, and he took ours. Saul, when he met Jesus, he had a great many skills, talents, and abilities. He was a communicator. He was such an effective communicator that people would stand up for him and kill others just because he said to do it. That takes a strong level of communication. And it's no doubt that as, as God eyed him, right, as he looked down from on heaven and saw Paul, he said, imagine if out of his skills, talents, and abilities, he would communicate for me. It took a man who could convince people to kill Jesus to convince people to follow him. And that's exactly what Paul did. Three days Saul sat there in that room. Couldn't see a thing. His whole life was upside down. Didn't eat anything. What was he thinking? As Paul came out of this movement, he had a different perspective on what the church should be. As a matter of fact, because of the way that Jesus encountered him so, so intently, when Paul went to start the church, he went to places that those who had been a part of the way for a long time, guys like Peter, they did not want to go. They did not understand why the gospel should spread so far into places that seemed so undeserved of it. And that's where Paul went. He went there in such a way that he says, if I, if I go to Athens, then I'm going to have to become like one of them. If I go, if I go to Rome, I'm going to have to become a Roman. If I'm hanging out with the Jews, I'm going to have to be like a Jew. And if I'm hanging out with the Gentiles, the people that don't think they get God, I'm going to have to be like them. Why? So that some will know in Jesus. What are the, what are the poor places in your life that Jesus might be calling you to? Maybe you're here this week and you're here and you're like, all right, you're already over it. I don't know. And in this space of poverty, in this space of I, I don't want to be here, I don't want to listen to you, can you? Can you press into that? And in that space, does Jesus get to say something to you that he doesn't when you're like, I'm all here, I'm all ready, I'm all yours? When everything's going right, right, in our lives, and everything's, everything, everything's fantastic, and everything's working, and all the things are working in our behalf, out of, that, out of that, it's hard sometimes to, to engage him. I grew up in the church, right, and I, was, I tried to be a very good kid. That was my main goal in youth ministry. Let me just be good and let me survive high school without getting sucked into the bad things. And so when I was done, I had a bunch of good things that I did. 
And I gave out of those good things. But I think all along, Jesus in those spaces was asking me to do something. And I denied it because that came from a place of poverty in me, not from a place of great wealth. This is a concept that is not easy for us to grasp. But I will tell you this, that if Paul did not understand the principle of giving out of the poverty of his life, again, where would we be with the church? Where would we be with all of this understanding of what we are supposed to do, <laughs> right? Jesus takes this widow and he, he holds her up in the highest of esteem. And when he gives it to her, when everybody looks at her, they don't understand why she's so amazing because it seemingly she has nothing to give. You might feel like in this room right now, you have nothing to give to Jesus. I haven't gone to church enough. I'm not a good person. I don't know the Bible. I know like John 3.16. That's all I got. <laughs> you would consider yourself maybe poor in that space. Right there, that's where God wants you to give from. You know why? Because when you give out of the poverty of your life, your dependency on God is at an all-time high. He gets all the credit and all the glory. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of going to things in which I can say exactly what happened in that space. I can point it back to somebody's gifts, talents, and abilities, right? That was a great speaker. That was a great band. That was a great presentation. That was a great program. The lights were fantastic. Whatever the case is, because it's easy in this world to kind of pinpoint that, right? It's much harder in this world and much more welcoming to God if we could walk out of spaces and say, I have no idea how that happened if God did not show up. If we serve a God who spins galaxies with his left hand and with his right hand, he wants to know what I'm thinking right now. We should not be able to stand. We should not be able to move and have a normal life, right? Paul even himself said, I don't get how to do this life knowing what I know about God. All I can say is I feel like an alien on this world. That's what we are. Or that's what we should be. Paul understood in a very real way that he must be in this world Always, but never of it. You know what the difference between in the world and of the world is? If you're in the world, whenever you're doing in this life, when people look at you, guess what they see? Jesus. But when you're of the world, whatever it is that you're doing in this world, when they look at you, they see only you. Everybody saw Paul for what he was. A Christian follower murderer. <laughs> But Jesus did not. Jesus did not treat him as his sins deserved, as the Bible says that God looks at us. Jesus did not engage Paul with a, with a spanking <laughs> or a list of things that he has to now do to make things right again. If you look at all the encounters that Jesus had, the woman at the well, which I think you guys had talked about, right? If you look at Peter and the life of Peter, who was one that denied him three times, he basically said, I don't know Jesus after being with him for three and a half years. And in the space of that, when he meets him again at the campfire in John 21, he doesn't make him apologize. He just asks him a very important question. Peter, do you love me? Just listening to all these worship songs in the background, 
songs that maybe we listen to all the time in our car. I think about how easy it is when those songs are going. It's easy to see Christ in those spaces. But what when they're not playing? What when we enter into this boring, vanilla lifestyle of Christianity because we're all tired of giving out of the things that we're good at and none of us is exploring into those spaces of poverty where we don't see God working? It's not a matter, my friends, as if God's going to work in this world. It is a matter of if you see it. That's why there's no, there's, there's, no, there's no irony lost in me that blindness is the thing. Like, he could have just, like, disjointed Saul's hip so he couldn't walk around, right? He takes away his blindness. He's trying to attribute something to him that you are not seeing what I need you to see. So when Jesus encounters blind people throughout the Gospels, when he meets with them and he uncovers their, their blindness and he gives them vision, he ruins their life, right, in a beautiful way. In John 9, the man that was born blind, he met Jesus. And then at the end of the story, he was kicked out of community. Jesus met him and he ruined his life. But thanks be to God that Jesus ruined all of our lives. See, our life without God is a destiny away from him for eternity. That's already been promised. That's already been proclaimed. It's not a matter of if you and I believe it's true, if it's going to happen. It is. Jesus is the only one that can make us look perfect before God, that we might have access to him. So therefore, Jesus gets credit for ruining our life. Have you experienced that ruining? Like Saul, are you kind of walking down the road doing your own thing, understanding that I have a purpose, I have a plan, I got all the stuff that I've been preparing for and I'm ready to go? And Jesus is using a week like this to say, hey, don't forget about me. Maybe you're not in the sense persecuting like Saul was, but there's really not much in my mind of a difference between persecuting Christians and just deciding to live your own life, to be honest, right? There's this really weird conversation that Jesus has with Peter, right, in Matthew, in which Peter tells Jesus that he's like his best friend, and I got your back. I, I, I will never let anybody come against you. I will never let anyone take you away from me. Because Jesus was starting to talk about how he was going to have to be crucified and taken away. And Peter stood up and said, absolutely not. Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Such a weird passage. I don't care how mad I've ever been at somebody. I probably would never pull calling them the Satan card. <laughs> they would have to be really mad at somebody to say that. What's he doing? What's he trying to accomplish in this space? What is he wanting him to know? Because there was a time in which Jesus' life, in which Satan wanted Jesus to follow him. See, basically what Peter was trying to do in this moment was to say, Jesus, don't worry about this. Get behind me. I got this taken care of. It's easy for us to be like Satan. Just decide that you're going to control everything on your own. Just decide that you're going to take care of the situations in your life. The sin that's got you that you think, when I get older, I'll get rid of this thing. Just decide that you're going to take care of that. That somehow you're going to man up or you're going to woman up and you're going to move past this thing. You'll figure it out. Go ahead. Or out of the poverty and admittance of like the younger brother far away from the father and the prodigal son, the prodigal son come to the end of yourself and turn to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of trying. Guess what happens when the prodigal son runs home to the father? There is no spanking 
There is no disappointment. There is only a hug. There is only an embrace. The father in the story of the parable of the prodigal son takes off his expensive jacket and he puts it on the on the back of his younger son. He takes off the rings off his own fingers and he puts it on the one of the of the younger son. If you're worried that you don't want to come to Jesus because you don't want to come to terms with the things that you have done in your life, well, that's a, good, that's a good excuse because you can't come to terms and you can't do anything about it. But Jesus can. Likewise, if you've been a Christian for a long time, as the band comes up, I want you to think through different things that you have said to yourself. Well, I will do this as a Christian, but I won't do that. And you've already started to put a plan in your life together for how you're going to live this Christian life. And I hope that included in that plan is that you and I would live out of the poverty of our lives. That we would not only to seek to, to serve him with our best, but that we would seek in a world that doesn't cry for humility, doesn't cry for kindness, doesn't cry for second place, doesn't cry for treating others as you would want to be treated. That that's what you would do. I thought about if I would have a response at this point. I don't think so. And let me tell you why I don't think I'm going to do a come forward if. Because I'm not proclaiming that anything, that any one of us gets to say, I get to do this and I don't get to do this. All I'm talking about is who we are supposed to be as believers, right? This is, this is not a, a challenge for the mightiest of mighty. This is for all of us. If Jesus can take down Saul and convince him to stop murdering Christians and to plant churches, he can do anything in your life. Anything that you have done, anything that the baggage that you carry the weight that you bring into this space it's nothing it's nothing as a matter of fact jesus paid for that already whether you know it or not so the sins that we like to tote around in a pack or a suitcase and pull with us understand that you're stealing from jesus because he already paid for those things so let him walk out the door with it or hold on to it In the space where we think that this Christian life is all about just being good and going to Christian conferences and festivals, understand that there is so much more that Jesus is calling you to. These are opportunities for him to come into this space and infect your life, right? These are opportunities where you have leaned in and said, God, use me. What will he do? When I was 13, I came to creation. Somebody brought me. I was like overwhelmed by the immense size of it all, right? And in that space, it's almost impossible not to say there is a God. Look at all this. Look, look at the resounding praises. Look at the people that are gathered, right? In that space, it's easy. Out of the wealth of all that, we, we communicate with a loving God who loves us. But then when I'm in my room by myself and no one's around, can I still absorb the same dependency and the same understanding of who God is? When I am poor, he is rich. When I am weak, He is strong. Can I pray a prayer of blessing over you for your week? God, man, it is hard to pay attention sometimes. <laughs> when it's hot, when there's lots of stuff going on, but I got to believe, God, that you're stronger and you're bigger and you're louder than all that. Lord, in this space, I pray that we would respond to you wholeheartedly. 
that we see throughout all of your interactions, all of your encounters with people like Paul, that you're not angry, that you're not, you, you weren't punishing Paul by taking away his sight. Instead, you were preparing him to see you in a much different way. May we all understand and engage that. May we feel that, whether we're 11 or 61 in this space, God. May we be such a, a life that you would stop everything to point out us, that we live out of the poverty of our lives, that out of that we have given everything we have to follow you. What would you do with that, God? your kingdom is greater your love is more loving your truth is truer than ours Father bless us bless camp creation this week bless them with an understanding bless them with the ability to move from this space to be affected by you and to affect this world Spirit of God would you come inside the inner man and the inner woman and would you bind them with strength that they might hold on to Christ as long as possible and in so doing Christ would you give them a mind to feel to know just how great how far how long how wide how deep the love is of the Father for us and in that same instance you will show us that there's not a way that our mind could ever comprehend it Spirit of God go beyond just this week go beyond just this year I pray that these young guys and young girls that I'm looking at right now that what you're gonna do in them is gonna change the way their grandchildren live on this planet how could it affect our grandchildren decisions we make here this week open us up God take us out of a current situation and let us see from on high your perspective and how you see all of this take away our vision blind us to ourselves that we might deny ourselves pick up our cross and follow you it's in your name we pray all these things god amen